0: It's been written and said that all of us are born with psychic abilities. It's just a matter of knowing how to tap into it. On today's show, we welcome Katherine Weisenberg, who will share with us her unique ability to communicate and dialogue with God, the deceased, and with coma patients. She is the co-author of Beyond Ever After, a heart-to-heart journey through death and the afterlife. So please join us as we speak with Katherine and deepen our understanding of spirit, consciousness, and our ever-expanding reality.
1: There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now here are your hosts, Kim Fosky and Dr. Dana Saperstein.
0: So, Catherine, welcome to the podcast studio.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Can you tell our listeners uh, who Catherine is?
2: Uh, Catherine, I'll disclose, is uh, Dana's sister-in-law, married to his brother, and uh, mother of his niece. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm a communication consultant. Um, I facilitate conversations with God, deceased people, and people in comas. And I've been doing that work for about 33, 34 years, uh, quite a long time. And um, uh, when we went into lockdown here in Santa Barbara, I started, uh, a weekly guest spot, uh, meetings and have been hosting that ever since, uh, for community members. And, uh, so we didn't feel so isolated. So I've got my hands in a lot of pots. I have a book called Beyond Ever After, A Heart to Heart, um, Journey Through Death in the Afterlife. I wrote with a client of mine turned friend and, uh, yeah. I'm a girl from the Midwest who moved to Santa Barbara to go to school and never left.
0: Like many people. Yeah. So you, you have a, a special skill, and, and that's primarily the reason that we're having you on and having this discussion today. And I, I don't want to butcher exactly what you call yourself, um, we know you're not, I don't think you're a psychic, right? Or, or definitely not a tarot card reader, but maybe an intuitive or, uh, instead of me trying to, to come up well, with the right term, I'm going to have you tell That's
2: why I call myself a communication facilitator is my background. My undergrad and grad work is in communication. And when this gift emerged in my life, I was in graduate school studying communication. And, it was as if the universe, God, whatever name you want to call it or whatever, said, you want an advanced degree in communication? You want to get an education? We're going to take you on a ride that, uh, you're <laughs> that the university can't give you. And so uh, I um, am a communication facilitator. I see what I do with my clients as... Um, connecting them to themselves and I work by referral only and I ask people what did they say about um I because it is hard to explain what I do I do writing and people say oh that's automatic writing but it isn't I'm tapping into the energy and I'm transforming that energy into prose and um it people say it it resonates with them at a, a deep soul level by and large
0: so you you had mentioned that you started getting this feeling um while you were in college it, it was was there a was there an actual moment in time where it, it it kind of popped into your head or were there moments in time that that this kind of started I, becoming clear to you
2: i would say onset not to be clinical but it just uh i would uh have this this sense of that I was supposed to say something to a complete stranger and I would be like this is insane I am losing my mind and I might approach them and say red chair uh, by the window or something and a total stranger would start crying and the person with them would look at me and I would be so humiliated I'd be like okay bye because I was really frightened, and I had some extraordinary experiences that I didn't understand, but I knew that if I was losing my own mind, I couldn't get perfect strangers to collude with my insanity. And so um, after about a year, I think I kind of got a little comfortable with it, but I stayed in very deep cover um, and kept my gift very quiet
0: was it was it energy or a feeling that you're picking up on these people or what exactly was it when you're walking by a stranger and thought that it I gotta reach out to them
2: auditory I would just it'd be almost like a sense of say it say it uh, like a kid bugging you I'd be like I am not going oh my gosh I do not want to do this I this is so humiliating you know and um, so it wasn't... A feeling it was an urgency in a sense it was a directive it was all those kinds of things and in the beginning for a long while it was very um, uh, unnerving I would say because I although the person always understood and they'd look at me like I had gone through their their underwear drawer because how could this person know this about me and I would think but I don't know and even I was hesitant to believe but over and over and over and over and it was really hard to come to peace about that and um because because it would be things that no one knew like the that they had never told a soul or whatever and I would be like, Really? Are you kidding me? And after the writing, they would tell me the backstory and I would just be like, Oh my God, this is so weird. You know? I mean, I would be as amazed as them. And still to this day, frequently I am as amazed as my client is. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't get this, but it it works.
0: how did you so how did you get started doing this in, in 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 terms of okay this is something that i feel like i need to do in life this is something that i need to be offering people and i and i get the fact that you were very uncomfortable with with this special talent that you had or skill that you had and intuition that you had but so how did you get going with
2: well, it well for many years it was just for friends or people i knew or Um, It was a gift. And I would say um, the real where I really got my marching orders um, to like be out there and do this work um, really in a more formalized way was in 2005 when Dana's sister Shelly had cancer and it was her wish to die at home with us in our house, my husband, Robin, our House and that was something we could do for her. And on her uh, deathbed, and she was going down fighting. She was, <laughs> she was not going down easy. I mean, she she uh, was unconscious, and she was. It was just not. It was. It was just really difficult. Anyway, I thought, okay, it was Susan, Dana's wife, myself, and my best friend Virginia, and Shelley was just very. Uh, just, we didn't know how she was hanging in there, hanging on. And she was unconscious at the time. And I thought, okay, I'll do a writing and help her. Maybe God can help us figure out what can make this transition more peaceful for her. Well, it ended up being a writing for my friend, Virginia, myself, and Susan. And very little was said about Shelly at all. But in that writing, Um, And I say God said because the writings always start out with God welcome, like God welcome Kim, and they always end with go with God. So I don't care if people believe in God or they, it doesn't matter, Buddha, whatever people's uh, orientation is. But anyway the message was to me to be the voice of this wider range, to share these messages, which are always about love. They're always healing. They're always um, uh catalyst for growth, uh, introspection. Um, and so I have been living into that directive that I received about spreading these messages.
0: Well, <clears throat> we were talking earlier <clears throat> Excuse me. I think you and I go back about twenty years when I fir- first met you, and and at that time, my wife had recommended that I come see you and and have a writing. And and I th- I'm probably one of the bigger skeptics in the world there. And but it was kind of interesting to me. And and I, I sat with you for that hour long period there, and, and I don't know how many pages you wrote, but it was many at that time. And I, I remember reading through those pages and i went wow this person knows me and if better than i know myself it was like what you were saying earlier it's like that person thought i went through their underwear drawer and it was the first time that i that i think that i began to start understanding myself and began that journey of self-exploration after that writing at that point now i know with your brother-in-law here you've had some pretty prolific moments with him and and so I don't want to to, uh, to take all the conversation here. So, do you
1: mind if I describe my meeting, Catherine?
0: I, I would love you to describe your meeting, Catherine.
1: Um, I don't know how much of uh, the situation that we remember, but we had some common friends. This was in 1989, New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Oh, then,
2: it's almost our anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's another side weird story about yeah. that, but go so, on
1: previous to my meeting you, I was having some really remarkable experiences in my professional life that I didn't understand. And our mutual friend, Alan, just handed me a book. I didn't even really know him. And he handed me this book about past life regression and uh, that I was having those experiences with people in my office. I didn't understand what was happening. All I knew is that I was losing my marbles or something was not okay with what was happening. And so Alan just spontaneously handed me this book. And so we started to become friendly and he said, there's a woman that I want you to meet and I'd like you to come to my house on New Year's Eve with your wife and your kids and the kids can go off and play. And I think that you and this woman would have some kind of interesting experience with each other. Well, what Alan didn't know at that time is that I had spent the previous six months having uh, the same nightmare night after night to the point where my wife couldn't even stay in the same bed with me because I was being so violent trying to get away from someone who was attacking me in my sleep, but I I couldn't understand what was happening. Um, I tried really hard um, to remember, like, why would I have this nightmare? I had years and years of therapy before that time and, and did everything I could to try to come to terms with why I would all of a sudden start having this horrible nightmare. Coincidentally, my daughter was turning about four at the time, and it was... And what I came to discover later on was that her little four-year-old person was stimulating inside of me that I didn't understand. Anyway, come to New Year's Eve, I arrive at Alan's house with my wife and the kids are off playing and, and uh, you and your friend Christine walk in the door. We're and-
2: wondering before we're going out to listen to live music. Oh, okay. It's early in the evening. It's like right. six o'clock. Yeah, it was very yeah. early.
1: And so you sat down next to me on the couch and, um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is kind of interesting. And and you looked at me and you said, well, I hear you've been having some really unusual experiences. And I, I said, yeah. And I started to describe a little bit about what was happening. And then you picked up a pad of paper and just started writing furiously. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm looking at Ellen and I'm thinking, well, you know, what's with this woman? Why is she travel around with a pad of paper and a pen everywhere she goes? <laughs> and you started writing and writing and writing and after about oh, 10 or 15 minutes, you handed me the pad. And what was on the pad was a letter from God helping me remember what it was that happened to me that was uh, stimulating that nightmare inside of me. And as soon as I started to read your writing, I remembered everything that I had blocked out from... It's horrible. Sorry. Sorry. experience I had as a little kid. And I thought to myself, how could this woman know this? Because I didn't even remember it at the time. But as soon as I started to read what you wrote, everything came back to me in a flash.
2: But it wasn't detailed.
1: It was incredibly it, de- well. Th- it wasn't was detailed images It was. It metaphor. was images, right?
2: It wasn't any detail.
1: Um, it was enough detail for me to remember. But it triggered that <sighs> right. yes.
2: that an open. That's how it works. And yeah. in, in the
1: most remarkable way, Catherine. And um, you know, I remembered being molested as a kid in the hospital, and then being threatened with death and the whole and and it was it was a, an incredibly transformative experience in that regard because. Um, uh, I'm a very skeptical person, right? Um, I'm a hard sell and I don't believe in any of this sort of stuff. And I just thought, you know, that anybody that believed in God, number one, was crazy. Mm-hmm. And I consider myself as a religious person to be an antagonist, not even right. an agnostic I remember or that. right
2: um, I was using the G word and you were like, what? Uh, there's no
1: such thing as God. I don't know what your, you know like, what your problem is, but <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway so I, I remember you know we were there for three or four hours and it was an incredibly emotional, really uh, intense experience that was so uh, helpful to me. And I remember waking up the next morning thinking to myself, I got to learn how to do this because if I could learn how to do what Catherine does, I could change people's lives in a way that um, is inconceivable. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not even sure at that time that you knew what it was that you brought to me. I'm not sure how you could have, cause I don't think no, I explained it to yeah, you. No,
2: I knew, didn't really were, know were what a, was going on. I was like, Oh my God, this man is losing his mind. I'm not quite sure what's going on.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> were you, were you a therapist then? I was. Yeah, I'd have been in practice probably just a relatively short time, maybe five or six years.
2: His office was next door to Alan. Right, right. That's how they knew each other. And I went to grad school with his wife, who was instrumental in showing me that I could do this writing.
1: Right. So I I remember the next day thinking to myself, um, for a man who didn't believe in God, all of a sudden... It was like, you know, I think if I was like in a church, I would have become one of those born again uh, people that, you know, <laughs> praise Jesus. Right? Right. But, but I also understood that, <laughs> that
2: And I'm not that girl either. Right. right? I yeah. just
1: got right. that
0: image in my head. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> so, and I also understood that if God waited for me to go to church in order to have that born again moment, God would still be waiting all these 30 some odd years later because I'm not, that's just not the person that I am. So number one, I came to understand that there was such a thing as God, which is, was an incredible gift for somebody as a skeptical as me. And number two, I was so intrigued by what you were able to help me with that um, really for six months was incredibly elusive to me. And I'd had more therapy than you could ever imagine at that point. And I went back to see my mentor and he told me that he couldn't help me because he didn't really, you know, he couldn't imagine that anything could have happened to me that would Uh, you know, be so traumatic that I wouldn't have remembered, you know, years prior. So you you and I started meeting after that on a regular basis, and you started writing for me in ways that um, just helped me solidify all of what it is that we're talking about. And it really changed my life in a way that I can't even, it's barely describable Mm -hmm. how much an effect that it had. And I came to understand that I would never necessarily, uh, express my gift the way that you do, because I'm not you. Mm-hmm. But that if I was willing to tap into my intuition and really become seated within that part of myself, that I could do my version of what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. And have since, you know, brought that into my professional life. And it's been incredibly remarkable. Because uh, people say the same thing to me now, often that I'm sure they say to you, which is just, well, how do you know that? Where does that information come from? And my response is always the same, which is, I think it's just a, a feeling. It's an intu- intuitive sort of a feeling that comes to me. And and the hard part is being brave enough, as you say, to be able to not let your own feelings get in the way of delivering the message. I don't know if that's something that you've had to struggle with, but it's, for, for me, there've been moments when I've gotten information that was contrary, or at least um, not a part of what I was having a conversation with the person about.
2: Well, you know, I have to say that um I um I've been doing these live writings and um where I write and it appears on the screen right. and it's a spa- and um anyway, one of my dear uh friend's longtime client said um you know, you really you really understand, or you're really able to just move aside and speak to the humanity. And um, that's so helpful um, because the writings now are very image-laden, very metaphorical, and I now am uh, archiving a lot of the old ones, and they always have been. And so it's very poetic. And I think that the poetry is the energy that the mind can't, like, do its ginsu with, like, oh, no, I'm going to push that away. The mind gets teased by the imagery, the metaphor, um, and it's trying to do its thing. And meanwhile, the energy and the soul and the connection and the intuition is getting in, and it's moving around all the defenses of mind or ego. and. I so I think also it's 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 intuition, but it it is really I'm able to just move aside and not judge and not have thought about it and not just not I'm I'm totally present. It sounds like it would be woo woo. It's not at all. It's just like we're having this conversation, and both of you experienced it. I don't go anywhere. It's not like Twilight Zone, but opening that space for the energy, I think, which I'm not sure, um, the line between intuition and energy and, but I think there's an energy door that's opened or a conduit or a connection or, uh, 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 an embrace, an acceptance. It, it I'm not quite sure that allows that profound healing to take place. And I would think that's what you offer your clients when you do your work with them is this place of everything is welcomed here. And when everything is welcomed, true healing can occur. And true knowledge of what we have suppressed or whatever or the stories we've told ourselves can move away. So... Um, And I think we all have that ability. It's just really, really difficult. Um, And that's why, like Kim started out, is there are things in there and your soul goes, yeah, finally, I've had my voice. Because I think that that, in the writings, what you're really doing too is sort of speaking to your soul, your deeper self.
1: You know, Catherine, if I can interrupt you just for a sec, I want to make sure that everybody understands that it's not always pain-based. Oh, be- yeah. Because um, when I go back to our history, after I'd known you for a few months and I called my sister and my brother and said, hey, uh, you guys got to come to Santa Barbara. I got to introduce you <laughs> to this woman who has changed my life. And, 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 you know, they knew me to be a really, really cynical, uh, mm. uh, <laughs> right. not the most, a spiritually interested person. And so they were quite intrigued by my invitation. And um, I remember, I think it was my sister that came first and you met her and you guys hit it off and we're like sisters right away. And then um, my brother was married at the time and living in uh, Washington and um, I invited him down. And for some very odd reason, I said to him on the phone, you cannot bring your wife with you. This is not something for her. This is just for you. Now, I don't have any idea why I had such a strong feeling that my brother was to come by himself. So he came and, you know, he met you and, uh, you you know, you guys had your connection with each other. And then I remember a few weeks or I don't know how long it was after that, you and I didn't speak to each other for about a week. And the reason we didn't speak was because I got a feeling that you were going to marry my brother and I think you got the same feeling. But we like,
2: never had this conversation. We never had the conversation. Because, the, because what really happened is I went to the meditation chapel at La Casa de Maria, and I was in there. And I, who have had this ability for years, people... Well, at that time, I hadn't had it for years. But I would never use it for myself. It wasn't just right. anything... And I was in that meditation chapel and I heard Dana's brother will come and you'll have two children. And I was like, (gasps) I mean, it was like, it freaked me out. I was like, who's in here? What's going on? And I was like, this is insane. And I was coming to your house for dinner. And so, and you and Susan had these elaborate, I wasn't a parent yet, Bedtime rituals, read 25 million stories. It went on and on. And Susan went to read stories. We had dinner. And and you said, we were sitting on the couch, and you said to me, you know, Catherine, you're such a lovely person. You deserve to have someone um, in your life. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I was like, oh, my God. Because, like, maybe an hour earlier in the meditation or an hour and a half earlier, I'd gotten this message. I I was like, no, no. And then the phone rang, and you got up, and I don't know if you... And we didn't talk about getting these simul messages until probably about a, seven or eight years ago. I never told the soul. I mean, I told people, but not you. And um, it was Rob, my now husband, on the phone. And, and so you said, oh, and you came back. You were talking on the phone for a few minutes. And you came back, and you said oh that was my brother he wants to come down and meet you this weekend and I was like oh my god I was so freaked out but I couldn't ask any questions because I didn't want you to think I was going to be scamming on your brother
1: well I felt really (laughs) uncomfortable too because he was I can't be a homewrecker what I didn't understand at the time is that I think his wife was in the process of being unfaithful to him and that Uh, their marriage was on very shaky terms
2: they hadn't been married that long
1: no no I don't think so but at the same time I, I mean I don't know uh, I mean I'm like, not
2: using it as a justification right and and I wasn't involved with him until after they
1: divorced. We're set, yeah right Yeah,
2: I mean at all
1: but I just remember you and I sort of avoiding each other for a bit because we were both so uncomfortable because I got the same message you did which but is we, ne- you were I marry. Never, <laughs> we never said
2: it to each other until a year I mean like everything was like uh, it was not that I mean I was shocked yeah. when you told yes. me that
1: I only bring it up because I want to make sure that that everybody understands that this is not just in the service of pain; it's also in the service oh, of love. Absolutely, sure. I have
2: people who have in, you know, infertility, and and, and they're told they're going to have three children. And they're like, "There is absolutely no way." Do you know how much? And then they have three children, and so oh, right. yeah, lo- yeah. So that's a good.
1: It's a good part. It's it's a really an important thing right. to know that you know that it's as much about love as it is about pain.
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you clarified that. Right. Yeah, and of course, here I am. Now yes, I'm your well, sister-in-law. For, all these years later. Been married 25 years and uh, 26 years, so yeah. And that, when you talk about intuition and fate and all that, I wonder, you know, is that even for someone like me who who has sees like wonder and miracles repeatedly, it's common practice um is that I was terrified and so I was just like and when I met him I thought this is crazy and when he reached out his hand and I saw a wedding band when I first met him I'm like in my head I'm like I do not do married you know and I was like and you guys we went we had dinner we went back to your house the bedtime ritual long again and he says I've got a question for you. He said, you know, I look at you, you've got so much joy in your eyes, but why won't you you're so fun? He goes, Why won't you look me in the eye? And I'm thinking to myself, Because you're married?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. You know?
2: <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. So
0: Integrity goes with intuition, right? As well.
2: Well but I mean. but also that we sometimes are directed in ways that we should trust even if we think we're losing our mind, you know, you're here. (laughs) So
0: Dana and I were talking earlier before we started the podcast about, uh, about connection, right. And and we're talking about your connection with Rob there. And, and, it kinda of sounds like you knew it was a romantic connection right away, or intuitively knew it was a romantic connection, or did you know what kind of connection it was gonna be at that?
2: I day? knew what I had been told that okay. I was he would Dana's brother will come and you will have two children. And I we only had one, so I don't know. I, I think my daughter was a twin, but uh in utero maybe, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um so I didn't have, I mean, I had that directive and I did not want to believe it for so long because like you said, I didn't want it. My husband still teaches me, you're a homewrecker. And I'm like, ah, we did not have anything romantic till after your divorce. So, but,
0: um. It's really interesting how Dana also had that, that intuition as well. At the same time. At the exact same time. Well, it gets
2: crazier, Kim. It's more than coincidence we were going to on a they were going to go for spring break on a surf trip on on a trip to hawaii and they invited me and he invited his brother to surf with him and we went to his mom's house and we were on the balcony and his sister and i you know we're friends like you said we hit it off and she we were on the balcony of their mom's house and she looked at me and she said i know this is going to sound crazy I just think you're going to be with my brother. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird. Because there, you know, I met him that weekend, and that was it. And, I mean, that was the only contact I had. And then he flew to Hawaii because he lived somewhere else. But anyway, so even she was getting the message. So it was, like, written in the stars, I guess.
0: You ever thought about why you were given this gift? Um, and I think it is a gift.
2: The reason I I've thought about that and I think one of the reasons I was given this gift is because I was adopted at birth and I was not a traumatized adopted person but I never knew who my parents were and I and I they, they told me I were what my natural my uh, birth parents I was told I was adopted before I ever knew the meaning of the word it was not a stigma whatever but so I just thought, okay, God delivered me by taxi cab. In my childhood naivete, I just said, okay, God's my father, and uh, you know, I'm okay with that. And these these are my parents, and and I wasn't I wasn't in discomfort about that. So I don't know if that just set me up maybe to have this more easy flow and sense a connection with God, not um, you know that oh, yeah, this is, you know, when when God or the universe starts talking to you, you're like, yeah, well, okay, you know. I just, every, <laughs> I, I'm i not quite sure. So I I have, when I found my birth parents, I did try to ask if any of them had, like, you know, surreptitiously asked because I was under deep cover still. <laughs> if anybody had any kind of, like, if it's a genetic thing, and nobody, um, nobody reported that. So... But my adopted family, um, my grandmother uh, read cards and coffee cups. And my teenage friends and I would say, does he like me? And she'd say, oh, I see a dark-headed girl or whatever. Uh, So I was around kind of the other, a little woo-woo-y, but not anything like what was going to happen.
0: Did did you have a strong intuition? early in life at all? I know we talked about, you know, your college days and and kind of learning or, or understanding your gift at that point, but did you have a stronger intuition as you were growing up as a child?
2: My all? parents, my uh, adopted parents divorced when I was two. My mother was depressed, later turned to, uh, to be um, manic depressive. And I think I was always on high alert. I was the adult child and so i would think maybe not intuition per se but i think that when you grow up in that situation your senses are altered like you probably attend to things much more deeply and maybe that was something that gave me but really uh i forgot because like i said there's a million stories when I was eighteen, I had what I believe was a near-death experience, and in that experience, I went to a place and it was and I I had this thought like oh I'm dead and then I was like shouldn't I be freaking out if I'm dead? And there were these voices talking to me with music that had no words. I know it sounds crazy, and I was moving forward really fast. And I was eighteen at the time, and I the only I thought you would see people you know that died so i was like okay my uncle eddie was the only dead person i knew it Was like where's uncle eddie and they're like you can see him at some point point. and i got to a place in this uh, experience where i stopped and i said why are we stopping and they said you have a choice you can go on or you can go back and i said um is god over there there was this brilliant light and said yeah and they said I said, well, if I choose to go back, does that mean I won't get to come back to this place? I said, no, you'll get to come back. And I said, okay, then I think I have more work to do. And boom, I was back in my body. And I thought at the time I'm going to get in an accident and killed. So I wrote my mother this whole letter. Don't be sad. It's wonderful. It's so exciting. Uh, you know, whatever. And I really think that the thing that I said at that time in that experience, then I think I have more work to do was the work that I've been doing which came on when I was um 25 and um or not 25 29 so I think that was a catalyst I think it did something to my brain probably I don't know
0: so what was the turning point for you 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 talked about working undercover for many years providing this gift to the family members and friends and so on so forth. What was the kind of the, the breaking point for you to finally say, okay, I'm, for lack of a better term, coming out of the closet with this gift of mine and going to offer it to the world now?
2: I would say I really came out of the closet about three years ago when we wrote this book. And when my daughter went away to college and I wasn't afraid that she would be the girl that would be like, Oh, you've got the crazy psychic mother. And have some sort of stigma. So
0: was that was that what you were most worried about? Was was my daughter being gave, labeled that way?
2: Uh, yeah, that was very distasteful to me. So and also that my daughter would get blowback. And um, so I was the one that always had a problem with my gift. Nobody I ever worked with ever doubted it. Always were you know like oh my god, but I was the one who had that self-acceptance, uh, issue. So, um, and then, then I go back to the Shelley experience and I just knew like, I can't, I can't use my daughter as an excuse. I can't use whatever as an excuse. And, uh, I just need to get on with it. And, uh, Because I do really believe that we all have this gift to connect to deeper parts of ourselves, to other realms, to other people who have gone on. Um, I know that to be true. And a lot of people who I have worked with have, you know, will come back and say, you can't believe what started happening. Much like Dana said, he's integrated into his work with clients, you know. That once you, once you open that, it's, it, 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 it's wonder and magic everywhere. It's here all the time. It's just being able to see it.
0: Did things change for you when you finally came clean to everybody about what you, what you were doing and wanted to do and keep doing?
2: everybody was like finally you know because they were getting you know i like i said i was the one that was reluctant and you know it's like come on why really everybody else was trying to open the door years ago yeah it's like oh finally thank god you finally you know so it was more like their frustration was alleviated with me i think that it was um yeah
0: so dana what kind of therapist would you've been if you hadn't met Catherine back on that new year's eve evening well, you know,
1: Kim, that's a really hard question to answer. I mean, I can talk about the kind that's of. Why focus I asked I, it. Uh, before I met Catherine, um, I think I was effective, but not as not nearly as effective as uh, you know, um, post Catherine meeting. <laughs> 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 um, that would be PC. Yeah, that's right, PC. Uh, because the, 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 what changed in my orientation was understanding that there is a spiritual part of our existence that's really important and often is left out of the therapy process. It's actually frowned upon in some circles. That you know, Freud back in the olden days even said that you know it's the drug of the masses and that it's a, you know something that is really holds no weight in any way. Um, so what changed for me was to to open myself up to the notion that everything that I needed to help the people that came to see me would be provided to me. And all I had to do was be willing in a healthy way to surrender myself to God and allow God to to um, sort of, for me to be connected to God all the time. And um, so I guess there was fear before, but not after. Because since that process of really coming to understand that God exists. I've rarely, if ever experienced any kind of fear in my professional life.
0: Was it that writing that started your belief in
1: God? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I I, I know that's uh, what his
2: brother says. You know, his brother said, my brother was saying he believed in God. And I knew like, Oh my God, this, this is something's happened to my brother. I need to come (laughs) down and get some of this. I don't know. I got to check on it.
1: They were certain that I'd lost my mind right, yeah, for sure. They because knew. again, very sarcastic, really anti-religion. And, um, you know, I asked many times to Catherine, why did this happen for me? And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I ever got a real direct answer other than, um, you know, again, that you got work to do and you can help a lot of people. So you're positioned to be of service. And if you're willing to embrace all of this, then there's lots of people that you can help. And it's a sort of a different approach to therapy to include the spiritual aspect of things and to really rely on your intuition as the main source of guidance in, in helping people heal. It's certainly made it possible for me to invite people into my life that um, have had the worst things happen to them that you could ever imagine. Uh, because one of my specialties is working with people that have post-traumatic stress in the most extreme kind of Way from child abuse, and um, it, it, obviously it affects me to hear the stories, but it doesn't, you know, people think it's going to take me down somehow or that right. it's going to, you know, hurt me in some way, and I look at it completely the opposite. I look at it like it's an incredibly, it, it's an honor that people feel safe enough mm-hmm. to bear their soul in my presence and, um, and to allow me to know them in ways that they would never reveal to most people in their lives, because they have so much shame and uh, embarrassment about the things that have happened to them and the things that you know have transpired in their lives, that and because most kids blame themselves for the horrible things that happened to them, so I think in those in in those ways things opened up in a very big way. I did look back on some of the people that I'd known previous to this awakening, and I realized they were trying to tell me things about their life in sort of, like you say, metaphorical ways mm-hmm. that I couldn't hear because of uh, there was a block inside of me that I didn't even know was there because I had no idea that there was such a thing as a repressed memory and and was very skeptical skeptical about the idea that something could have happened to me that, um, that I had repressed that deeply. But, man, I can tell you that it was like um, somebody popped the cork. And,
2: and I think that that is, like, in the work that I do, I think that that is what happens is that people know I know nothing. I don't know about them. I know nothing about them, and yet their soul is speaking to them. And that, it's that soul and that heart that have all the answers, that have all the information, that are still whole and perfect. And in that energy set, as I imagine with you and your clients, They can tap that. So it's less I'm not doing anything but facilitating that connection with spirit and their own soul. And that really is what is the healing energy and
1: You know you're right. Absolutely right, Catherine, because people say to me all the time, you know, thank you so much. You're so good at what you do on and on. I think to myself it's not really me. Yeah, I didn't. Do, right. I, didn't do, I really yeah. didn't do anything. Yeah, it was and you. That's how
2: I feel too. And and people are like you're so humble. You're so like, and I'm like, no. I'm just. I'm just so privileged to be able to see people make these transformations. Right. That. That for whatever reason, you know, I'm off the grid, and they can do. You know, they find me, and then it's just. As it's supposed to be, like I'm sure it is with the people who come to work with you.
0: So those questions for both of you, we, we talked about this, and, and Catherine, you mentioned it early on. I mentioned it in the introduction that that we believe that we all have this psychic ability. It's just how we tap into it or don't don't tap into it. So I guess the question is for both of you is if, if somebody's listening here and thinking, boy, I've really never tapped into it, I hear what you're saying. I, I've had either friends or I've gone to it. I, I believe that, that what they're talking about is is really true out there. So how, how do I tap into my psychic ability more than if I've never tried before?
2: Well, I think that it's happening all the time and that people are not aware of it. So I think that if you open your awareness and you really go like, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe it. Just say, where is wonder? Because I think when spirit opens you up, it'll just keep coming for you. It'll it'll come for you this way. You block it. It'll come for you that way. And so, and it has been my experience that with many people, it, it the tumblers just start falling and they start knowing, much like I did, there's no way I could know this, there's no way I could make this up, there's no way I could orchestrate this, and that something larger, and believe me, in the early days, I wanted some kind of literal explanation, and I just said, forget it. If I hit my hand uh, uh, with a hammer, I can't deny that it happened. I may never be able to logically, rationally explain it. So opening up And following the wonder, because it's happening for a reason. And usually, I think, in my experience, it is to grow that person to be of more service to themselves, to love more deeply. It's all good stuff, so not pathologize it, which is the first line of defense, which I played myself until... You know, uh, I couldn't anymore. How could I be so highly functioning and be crazy? I mean, I'm sure some people could do it, but.
0: (laughs) So Dana, same.
1: You know, I I look at it slightly differently in in that um, I believe that evolution is a very powerful force in our lives. And if if you don't have to worry about food and shelter, and we Mm. have the luxury of not having to worry about food and shelter in our world, um, the world that we live in. Um, then your evolution is going to be of a spiritual, uh, emotional. Uh, those qualities are the things that are, that are, and, and, and you know that are a part of our existence that need to be examined. And I think there is a force that's always flowing. And that again, if you're not concerned about where you're going to sleep tonight and what you're going to eat, then that force is going to guide you toward healing your emotional wounds and developing your spiritual. Uh, gifts for lack of a better way of looking, or a different way of looking at it. So it is a matter of being willing to be open and listen. And I try to encourage people all the time, if they're open to it, to start having a dialogue Mm. with God. And they they look at me like, well, what are are you talking about? I said, well, you know how to talk to your friends, you talk to your family. If if you're willing to not make it complicated, which is what we... I'll have a tendency to do, especially when it has to do with spiritual matters, and just have a simple conversation, which is, I don't know what to believe. I'm not sure if there is such a thing in the first place. Can you help me really understand what it means for me personally? Um, And just keep it as simple as possible that, like Catherine says, people start to hear what has always been said, but they never heard it before because they weren't paying attention to it. Sometimes it's very subtle. Other times it's not really that subtle, but people just sort of dismiss it. They try to talk themselves out of it because they're afraid. Um, because sometimes the implications are not as comfortable as we might like them to be. People are are asked to make choices or, or, or at least um, sort of nudged along to think about things differently than maybe they have before. So there's always that element of fear that comes into the picture and balancing the fear versus the faith that you can begin to develop once you're willing to open up the dialogue and recognize that that force is always there, it's always trying to guide people toward healing and enlightenment, and it's up to you to decide whether that's what you want out of your life and, whether, and it doesn't have to have anything to do with formal religion, which is what a lot of people that I see feel uncomfortable with, is that they equate God with religion, and I tell people all the time, that's just one path for some people toward God, and it helps certain people, but if you're not somebody who can sort of managed to accept that, then you can have whatever relationship you want with God or whatever even you want to call it, and it doesn't have to have a, a there's it's no Bible or, you know, whatever that It's just a belief. It's just a belief. And, and it, it's not a, just a belief, it's a relationship.
2: Well, and what I have found, like when we wrote the book and we go out and speak, the other thing is that these deep, profound intuitions or moments of clarity and connection are some of the most intimate in people's lives. So when we wrote our book, people would come up and say, Oh my gosh, I, I, I never talked about this and this happened to me. And, and I was just in shock because and the truth is, we're all having these experiences, and you bring up a good point is that this is not normalized conversation. There's nowhere to dialogue mm-hmm. about it. and And what I have found is everybody has this capacity. Everyone's having these experiences of spirit, of deep connection with spirit, with self. And um, it it's it's rewarding. But if you try to not know what to do with it, it can be very confusing. So people are lucky if they find a you um, to, to Dana to be able to dialogue with. But, um, you know, just keep on that path because things unfold. It's like one domino goes, they all go. And you don't end up in crazy town. You end up in a grounded, more loving more serving, more radiant, more life-giving, joyful way to be in your life, connected to others and to yourself and to God, Spirit.
1: You know, Catherine, the other thing that I like to talk to people about is that um, developing this connection doesn't mean that you get a pain-free life and (laughs) it doesn't mean you get an easy (laughs) life.
0: There's no path. There's no path. There's still no no, magic
1: fairy dust. Because we're, we're, you know, we're told that, Everything's going to be fine if you just believe and all that. Yeah. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, certainly right. on a physical level, that yeah. everything is not fine Me and too. never will be. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I that, who
2: have sight of second sight, I'm losing first sight. Right. So yeah.
1: So the idea that I ask people to consider is that you're not signing up for uh, a pain-free life. What you're signing up for is whatever support that you can allow yourself to have in the process of dealing with whatever comes your way. Because that's what you get. That's what you get is that feeling of resilience in order to face sometimes the darkest, most frightening things that a person could ever encounter. You know, our our podcasts are going to have people on that have lost children, that, you know, relatives. There's nothing more painful in my mind than to lose a child. Um, So having a strong... Spiritual belief does not preclude the loss of a child. What it does, hopefully, is give you the strength to be able to handle it and move on with your life and not have it take you down and your family down on top of the loss that you've already suffered.
2: And feel that deeper connection. When you said it's a relationship, that's really what it is. Right. It's an invisible support that's always available.
0: Right. So you've done a you've done Thousands of these writings now. At, the, yes. at this point, have you ever had the experience of, of somebody coming and it's just not there for you? No. Ever? never.
2: It's never not been available.
0: So it isn't. It isn't so much about I have this connection with this person.
2: It's uh, no. I mean, no. The person is irrelevant. I mean, it's not irrelevant. I'm very friendly. <laughs> no, no, but I understand. I understand. I yeah. understand what you said. Yeah, right? it's it's about that. I I I don't have to do anything to move in that space it's always available. I describe it as sticking my hand in the water and it just flows. And I believe that is true. It doesn't matter who and I believe God sends the people I'm supposed to work with cuz I don't advertise, I don't I'm not out there trying to look for anybody or sell anybody anything. Um so um yeah
0: Ha, has it has your gift evolved in some way over the years for you? And, and maybe that's not the right term or has...
2: Uh, yes, it... it most certainly did. has. In the beginning, I thought I had no control. I thought it was a gift. I had to say yes to anybody that was sent to me because it was a gift. I had to use it. And it took me a long time to learn to put boundaries around it to say, okay, I'll set a one-hour appointment with you, you'll come. And and I realized that this, because I had a gift, did not mean that I couldn't have a schedule or have a life or that. So that has evolved. What also has evolved is I, I know this vocabulary. I know the language and metaphor. I can say to somebody that gets this, beautiful image that you could do therapy like Dana said for 10 years and get nowhere. And you can get this one image, um, that allows you to see this thing, um, that, that is beyond talking about it and moves. I think what the writing does is it shifts your perspective a little bit. And if you change your perspective or you change your orientation, the whole world opens up. So, um, I went started talking and forgot my place, but it's okay. Yeah. I
0: think that was a very good explanation. I
2: it has evolved because it has. it's energetic. I appreciate that what I do now is not I am not a passive recipient, which I thought I was in the beginning. I am not altering or uh trying to shield anything and but I know that what I do is I open that energy field. I open that space for whatever can they're supposed to get to come. And that is something that I, I am also doing, that I'm not, um, like I said, I'm just not a passive recipient. And that makes, and that energy lets the other person open up to themselves. And so I see it more. In a different way than I did. And that really has evolved. Also, the messages are all about love. They're all about healing. And I see in thousands of writings that we are human and we all deal with the same shit. I mean, pardon me, but you have your, you know, you. Oh, absolutely. You you have your, and that's what, and yet no metaphor, no description has ever been repeated in a thousand, you know, in thousands of these things. So
0: you made a differentiation early on that it's not about you. Um, and, yeah. and Dana and I are in the coming weeks are going to have some conversations with some guests about taking on other people's emotions or the fear of taking on other people's emotions. And and I know that as much positive that comes out of the writings for these people, there are some dark that comes out. And, and of course Dana got mm-hmm. very vulnerable early on in, in the show about, right. about the experience he had with you. So, how do you not take on those people's emotions and, and, and block that gift that you have? In that because
2: topic? I have, I, I, I trust it. I know it to be true. And I don't need to necessarily understand. I know that it, that, I know proof positive in my own heart of hearts. That person is leaving with whatever they need. And I don't need to know what that is. I don't presume to know what that is. And so if someone's crying, and some people, you know, I I keep the tissue when I used to do this in person, hidden under the table so as not to freak people out, thinking they're going to cry or have a reaction. But people have cathartic releases. And I just know, I, Catherine, have no idea what that person needs. And yet I know that they are going to receive it. And if they don't, in the immediate second that they're there, when they're there, they walk away and it, it sets them on a path. So I don't take it on. And, you know, sometimes I write, like you said, you have, I don't know, uh, 20 pages, you know. And people are like, aren't you exhausted? And I'm like, no, I'm not exhausted. I'm not impacted by it. Um, so and because 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 I know that we all have, hard things in our lives i've got hard things and um and that's not a reason to be sad or traumatized i can feel empathy towards the person but i'm like i'm on the healing side of that i'm seeing the light that's that's busting through
0: we're coming up on the end of our hour here we always like to to kind of uh summarize in our last 60 minutes of discussion and and come away with a couple of takeaways that we want our listeners to, to kind of think about as they uh, finish up listening to this podcast. So Catherine and Dana, I'm leaving it up to you.
1: You know, uh, I, I just want to say again to Catherine, thank you so much. Uh, I really love you and it's good that you're a part of my life. And I'm just hoping that you can appreciate what it is that you did for me many, many, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, because it's still a huge part of my life and and I think about it on a fairly regular basis and, when I hear you talk and I think about what I do, they're they're similar in very mm-hmm. very many ways. Yeah. Um. Mine is a little bit different in that people have very specific sort of uh, ideas about what they're coming to work on, and not always when they come to see you, they're not sure what it is that's going to come up. So that's a little right. different. But um, it's just all very exciting to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, and I thank you for uh, introducing me to be your brother, although I really don't think you or I had anything to do with that. But <laughs> really, I think that was uh, orchestrated on high. But um, takeaways, I would say trust yourself. Trust that we all have this innate ability. And don't compare yourself to like, oh, she can do that or this person does that. And honor those intimate moments, those moments of wonder when you are in flow, when you're in deeper connection. We all know when those are happening and don't dismiss them and talk to a friend about them. Open up that dialogue. I wish we could all be more normalized about these things Um, because we're all having those experiences and they're the joyful ones.
0: Wouldn't that be a wonderful world?
2: Yeah. Hey, thank you. Satchmo.
0: Catherine, it's been a great hour. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you.
1: We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. Feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.